This is the Bobcast, a podcast exploring Reformed theology through the works of Herman Bobink. Welcome to another episode of Bobcast. With apologies to Kiefer Sutherland, this is episode 24. I'm Andrew Smith. And I'm Caleb Castro. We're picking up where we left off last time in the wonderful works of God in chapter 5, dealing with the manner of special revelation. Manner of special revelation. (laughs) All right. Andrew, tell me, why is this revelation special? Like, I mean, what makes it so special and cool? Well, it's more than just special, like, you know, your mom and dad and teacher used to tell you that you were special. It's special in that... It is God's revelation directed towards his particular people. It's redemptive revelation as opposed to general revelation, which is revelation given to everyone, regardless of whether they are the redeemed or not. Well, so when we're talking special, then we're saying that God uses particular means, right? You said for redemptive purposes. And Bobbing's been kind of showing how is it that God actually does this? How is it that God communicates uh, salvific or redemptive knowledge about himself, saving knowledge? We spoke about how God is using communication, uh, particularly in the act of speaking, where he reveals himself. And basically... The Bible just doesn't drop out of heaven. The Lord has been speaking and revealing by his word all throughout history and little by little revealing more and more about himself and his plan of redemption in Christ and culminating in Christ. And then everything since looking back to Christ, it's all about Christ. Christ is the point of all revelation. We've talked about this before, too. General revelation, in part, exists to serve special revelation, to allow a world where special revelation can happen as God has ordained for it to happen. So, like, for instance, even things just like creation and providence the events of history and so forth, and even the events of the Gentile nations, all in their own various ways serve the purpose of redemptive revelation. And yeah, and we made a note, Bobbing had said on page 47, that that top paragraph there, that creation is revelation. And he doesn't mean this in like a, you know, Hegelian uh, spirit of the age, like history is the vehicle of knowledge kind of thing. You know, he's saying just that God uh, in acting, God in doing anything in creation is already revealing himself because creation is totally uh, dependent and contingent on God, even in it continuing, even in it's being sustained. All of history is attesting to God. All of everything in creation attests to God. And this is not to be confused with pantheism, where all is God, or panentheism, where all is in God. We maintain the creator-creature distinction. Creation is revelation, but creation is not God, or it's not some part of God. It is his work. It is not him. Yeah, and even for that matter, it's not that everything in creation
intention can really receive and then also express and articulate things about God. You know, it's not that a rock or a tree or a dog can go and receive this revelation, but it's man that has the image of God and as the image bearer has a conscious thinking, has the ability to understand, to process, to, to reason to think the things about God, reflect. And then uh, we have the gift of language to then communicate those things about God, the things that we understand, not according to merely our own understanding, but according to what he's revealed about himself. To have an accurate, though, understanding and reflection, uh, and then also in some manner, articulation about God, that's where it requires the Holy Spirit and regeneration and saving knowledge of Christ. In particular, revelation, the the word of revelation, like, you know, creation and providence, they're great, but you can't, by looking at a tree, from that determine God's plan of salvation or the gospel. That has to be communicated in a unique and specific and special way. Yeah, and one of the predominant ways being uh, inscripturation, right? The actual recording of the Word of God in inspired divine holy scripture. The Word of God uh, has existed even before scripture was written down. The Word of God precedes scripture. There is a slight distinction in there, which we did refer to in our episode on worship. But the Word of God was spoken to Adam. God was revealing himself to Adam. After the fall, he gave a word of promise about the promise of the seed. And since then, he's been bit by bit expanding on that revelation and over time that has been recorded written down in the process of scripture god's word yes is eventually compiled and it's canonized in the scriptures the scriptures that we have the bible the 66 books and the canon is closed it's not expanding going to be expanded any further this for instance we get with hebrews 1 which we hinted at a little bit last time we were getting there about how god though in the former days he spoke through the prophets in the last days he has spoken by the son the son is the culmination of revelation all the revelation before is pointing to the son all the revelation after points back to the son uh what has he done how do we live in this world in light of what he has done and so forth, and then to his eventual return. But we have that. We have all of the scriptural revelation we're going to get, and we have all of the scriptural revelation we're supposed to have. Yeah, and in fact, you said that everything in the Old Testament was pointing forward to Christ. Starting on page 51, Bob Inc. starts going back a little bit and looking at the various forms of revelation throughout Scripture. He starts looking at how the various ways the Lord has revealed himself in a special, extraordinary way. You'll see in that second paragraph there on page 51... Bovink highlights what he calls an external and objective revelation. So Bovink basically begins to unpack something of a biblical theology on page 51 of God's special revelation. Um, he talks about appearing to Abraham, appearing to Moses and the people at Mount Sinai, his presence in the tabernacle, the pillars of cloud and fire. There are other examples. These are the ones Bovink gives. Other times he sends angels, but again, these are still external objective revelation. This is God in some sense coming to man from without, from outside, from elsewhere, 
and addressing man directly with revelation. Another example here given, too. This is kind of an interesting one. The Urim and the Thummim. I'm probably not saying that right. (laughs) Urim and Thummim? Yeah. Yeah, essentially they were the lots that were given to the priests and they were to cast them to determine what God's will was. And it was a means he prescribed. This is a way he said you can you can do this to discern my will. It's pretty much exactly as it sounds as uh, Andrew was describing external. God uh, is showing up as a theophany, a divine appearance, a very visible appearance For example, the cloud and the fire that was uh, showing up in leading uh, Israel out of Egypt and then through 40 years of the wilderness. This was supernatural phenomena. This isn't just some cloud or or giant pillar of smoke and fire that happens to just be going the exact same direction in front of them for, you know, over 40 years. This is a divine appearance, and that's what makes it totally external. Uh, same thing with Urim and Thummim. There's, there's nothing that's being communicated inside of them, in their conscience, in their mind, in their heart. And another means of this external revelation is miracles. Now, that's a big topic in itself. We'll come back to that in a moment. The second major category of special revelation, Bovink treats starting on page 55, which is internal and subjective as opposed to external and objective so it's basically it's revelation done inside a person to a particular person and so the categories of this he mentions moses as the mediator of the old testament basically the giving of the word to moses the prophetic word is a major example of this internal subjective revelation Also, dreams and visions belong to this category. And then the inspiration of the human mind by the Spirit of God. And this is often the means by which Scripture is created, the way that the Scripture we have came to be. Yes, there were the glorious visions and the miracles and those sort of things, and they're recorded in Scripture, but you also have the prophecies in the New Testament. You have the epistles where it is the Spirit of God moving through a particular author to write down what is the word of God. There's an additional thing I think that's pretty interesting with this second category of the internal and subjective. Like, even though, as you were saying, it's not something that's coming without, it is inward, internal, it is in a manner subjective, but it's not immediate. Its actual locus is not derived from anything inside of us itself. This kind of special revelation doesn't really start from inside of us. It is still in a manner objective because the Lord is the one placing it inside of us. It's that we understand it. It's being communicated internally. In other words, there's still a mediation that's occurring there. God is mediating that revelation to us. This is very important, especially for that last point you were saying on inspiration, where one of the most common ways that we end up seeing this throughout scripture is, yes, the scriptural writing process itself. The recording of scripture is inspired, not the people per se. Paul is not inspired It's the text that's inspired. So say, for instance, we found Paul's lost letter to the Corinthians, since this is something people love to speculate about. We wouldn't just add it to the Bible. Paul himself is not inspired. The letters of Paul that we have in the Bible are inspired. But if, say, we were to, for whatever reason, find more, 
they're not inspired. We know they're not inspired because God hasn't preserved them as a part of his word. Right. And that's another thing that scripture is received as a whole. We're not going in determining what is or isn't scripture. It's that scripture has been recognized as divine because it's been handed down to us first from the prophets and the apostles and then onwards through the the pastors and teachers. If you're interested in looking at that topic more and the canonization of scripture, a couple months back, our friend Austin Rifle, fellow Society of Reformed Podcasters member on Sipping on Theology, did a series on the canon and took that topic up and treated it very thoroughly. So you can check that out. Now, in another manner, on page 56, Bob Inc. makes an interesting point here about inspiration. He also includes the distinction of inspiration, not just in the sense of the prophetic, not just in the sense of writing scripture, but in a more common sense, God's illumination of the regenerate. Just to read that quote really quick there. From the Old Testament, uh, you see the operation of the spirit that comes upon the prophet from above, but for a moment. But in the New Testament... After the Holy Spirit has been poured out, inspiration becomes more common as a means of revelation not only, but also takes on a more organic and permanent character. And there at the very bottom, the very last sentence there, he actually states that this is an internal illumination, which is the portion of all believers. This is the illumination in which the Holy Spirit is working in us, impressing the things of the Lord, the things of the Word, storing it up in our hearts bringing an understanding in our in our minds and joining together informing of our conscience as we're being conformed to Christ. So this is something that in this way we as believers all have inspiration. But we have to be careful here and Bob Inc. cautions us to be careful. When he uses inspiration this way, he's not talking about inspiration in the same sense as those who, through the working of the Holy Spirit, wrote the scriptures. It's a different kind of inspiration. It is this illumination. It's not the ability to create scripture or receive new direct revelation, but rather it is primarily the power to understand, to interpret, to hear and believe the word of God that we have. And this gets back even to what we said, talking about the canon. It's received because God's people, with this illumination of the Holy Spirit, recognize and accept the Scripture. It's God's sheep hearing God's voice, to use the language of John 10. Well, now, you you said there, this isn't then in a sense for, even now, after Pentecost, this inspiration, as Bobbing says, that's common to the portion of all believers. You're saying, Andrew, then, that prophecies, however, aren't for all believers now where we can't go and prophesy or bring new words of knowledge yes that is what i'm saying remember hebrews 1 in these last days god has spoken by the son the son is the final word of revelation the son is what revelation is for he is the highest purpose he is the center of all revelation so at this point what good would new words of revelation do so basically we're saying that these things like say revelation in the past but before christ before this final word in hebrews 1 revelation uh and prophecy uh, they were all given then to confirm Christ, right? They're there to confirm the nature of his redemptive purposes. Right. 
So what do we do then with miracles? Are miracles, if we're to understand them also as a special revelation that it is ultimately from God to reveal things about God, does this mean miracles also have ended with what Hebrews 1 is speaking of? Well, the answer is in the question. Yes, miracles have ended in the sense that we have to think about why were there miracles in the first place? Why do we have miracles recorded for us in Scripture? They are intended to confirm, to validate, to provide a mechanism for the proclamation of the word, particularly for the proclamation of the gospel and the building of the church. Now, in those early days in the apostolic age, they were something that were performed in the church. They were a part of the church, but for that special establishing purpose— So basically, the miracles throughout redemptive history, as we see, especially throughout scripture, as you say, confirm what God was doing, what his work and his plan had been in bringing about uh, the salvation of sinners and the recreation of all things. And therefore, they point and underline Christ. Right. The miracles are not an end in themselves. This is the problem we get with the movements in our day that insist that miracles are a continuing thing. Now, before we go there, I do want to qualify. We're not saying that God is prohibited from acting in this way or is unable to act in this way or doesn't act in this way. For instance, God may, if he wills, heal people in this time. And we pray for people to be healed and people are healed. People are healed by the normal providential work of the healing processes of our bodies. But also, I mean, there are times where we pray for people and against what science and what a naturalistic approach would say, they recover, they are healed. But that is God's will, God's action. It's not miracles in the sense that we see, for instance, in the New Testament, in the apostolic age, where you have people endowed with these particular miraculous gifts And then as such, they were able to basically on demand use these gifts and heal people like, you know, Caleb, if you break your leg, I can't come up to you and swat you on the forehead and say, Caleb, be healed and your leg's going to get better. That's not how this operates anymore. Oh, you're stingy. Well, I mean, if I could, (laughs) I would, but I I just don't really have that skill set. You do care. We can take that farther, too, where, you know, you say, sure. If God so wills to go and yeah, heal someone physically, well, sure, we concede that. We agree that that could happen if God wills. Now, in another way, though, what about creation and the sustaining, the maintaining of creation in this universe? I mean, that itself is a miracle. That doesn't seem extraordinary to us. You know, it's a pretty normal thing. This world continues on just as it always has, it seems. But we're not deists. We're not naturalists. Creation's very sustaining and continuing is a miracle itself. And the same thing of when people convert, when people come to the Lord, when you see people singing in your church service and the preaching of the word, there's a miracle going on here as well. Dead people are coming to life spiritually. Absolutely. Just because something happens regularly and we see it doesn't mean it's not a miracle. Be this in Providence or be this in the church. I mean, just think of Providence for a second. I mean, we've talked about this before. But as we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism, providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God 
by which he upholds as with his hand heaven and earth and all things in them. I mean, that's a lot. That's massive when you think about it. Because we just see it and we think it's normal, but... I mean, consider the alternative where none of this was made and none of it did exist. And yet God spoke and it was. Yeah. As we go back a little bit here on that same point, Andrew, on page 51, after talking a little bit about the external and objective uh, means of special revelation that you noted earlier, that last paragraph there on the page, Bovink notes that God retains and possesses within himself an infinite plentitude of life and strength. Nothing is too wonderful or hard from him citing genesis 18 14 with him all things are possible so he is going to uh because this is his creation and because he is all powerful all wonderful holy and glorious he will do as he pleases and he will reveal himself as he pleases and all this to the glory of christ right before this that paragraph right before this Bob Inc. was pointing at the more naturalists, the atheists and materialists, he says, as well as the pantheists and the deists saying, okay, all these groups here, they deny that miracles are possible. They deny that even the reality of miracles are necessary to begin with. But again, they start with that same presupposition, that same assumption that this world is all there is. This world has all the glory and we can go and dig up any bit of truth, you know, if we pry hard enough so with that we're out of time for today so we're gonna have to pause there for now but we're gonna come back and we're gonna talk some more about miracles in fact we're going to talk about specific movements in our day and the claims that they make about miracles and the things they try to do claiming they are or in the name of miracles and I think it's going to be really good and I think it's going to be really helpful so you'll definitely want to come back and join us for that but until then, we thank you for joining us for Bobcast and Toad Zines. Toad Zines. Thank you for listening to Bobcast. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and leave a five-star review where you get your podcasts. For the latest Bobcast news and updates, visit Bobcast.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Bobcast is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Subscribe to the Society of Reformed Podcasters feed to hear more great theological content. Music is City of God by Rudy Manrique. We hope you'll join us again next time.